Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. This is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. We have a terrific guest this week. It's Doris Burke, who has had a remarkable broadcasting career over her three-plus decades in basketball. It's somebody who uh, has been a pioneer when it comes to a woman in sports broadcasting, including being the first woman to serve as a game analyst for the NBA Finals when she did on ESPN Radio. ESPN named her to the position of National NBA Game Analyst in 2017. That made her the first woman to serve full-time in that capacity. She is a Kurt Gowdy Media Award winner. That's given by the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame, an incredible achievement. And now, starting this year, as ESPN announced this summer, she will be alongside former Sixers coach Doc Rivers and play-by-play broadcaster Mike Breen, and they are ESPN slash ABC's new NBA lead commentator team that makes Doris the first female analyst to call the NBA Finals on network television when that comes down next spring. We had a great conversation um, about so many topics, including when she found out about this, her feelings uh, about Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson leaving. Those two uh, were very, very close to Doris and very, very important to her career development talk about how she thinks it's going to work with Doc and Mike, and then we get into some NBA stuff in terms of uh, you know, what team she's really looking forward to, um, who's got a compelling argument to make the NBA Finals, and we finish up with some women's basketball stuff. That's where I first met Doris when um, she was uh, the lead game caller for ESPN on the Women's Final Four. So about 40-plus uh, minutes with Doris Burke coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, um, if you're a basketball fan, you are familiar with my guest, but uh, but I will give her resume here. It may take a little bit of time, Doris, so just hang on as I go through the, uh, the list here. Doris Burke has had a remarkable broadcasting career over her three decades in basketball broadcasting. She's covered basketball in some form since 1990. I think most of the people listening to this will obviously know her from her 
ESPN work. Uh, some highlights from her career. In 2018, she was announced as the recipient of the Kurt Gowdy Media Award. That is what the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame gives out for um, contributors to basketball. You pretty much as a, you know, as an as a non NBA player cannot get a higher award, I think, than that. She's the first woman to serve as a game analyst for the NBA Finals when she did that for ESPN Radio. Prior to the 2017-18 season, ESPN named her to the position of national NBA game analyst. That made her the first woman to serve full-time in that capacity. Doris Burke obviously has a lot of firsts when it comes to this business. She's led packages as an analyst in women's college basketball in the WNBA, handled trophy ceremonies. And this past July, <clears throat> excuse me, ESPN announced that Doris, along with former Sixers coach Doc Rivers and longtime play-by-play person Mike Breen, will be the new NBA lead commentator team. That makes Doris Burke the first female analyst to call the NBA Finals when it happens, games on network television. And with that, I'm exhausted, Doris. I welcome Doris Burke to the Sports Media Podcast, or back to the Sports Media Podcast. Doris, how are you? I'm doing great, Richard. Doing great. Finally uh, able to prepare for games and uh, get into the rhythm of a typical NBA season now that, you know, there are games on nightly to watch. So it's good. I would say, you know, when this announcement came down, there's, you know, of course, a little bit of nerves and excitement and you have to get to work to relieve that sense. So it's, it's good games are happening now. Well, Dars, um, and we've known each other a long time. This, it's very good to catch up with you in um in this setting, obviously, uh, it's a tape setting, but still good to good to talk to you. And obviously, I think people who listen to this podcast are going to sort of be interested in the process of how this happened, your reaction. So let's start here. A lot of times in the business, when the announcements become public, the people involved in the announcements at least know either a couple of days or sometimes weeks before. So when did you learn that you would be getting one of these lean analyst chairs along with Doc Rivers? So, you know, I don't remember the exact date, to be honest with you, Richard. I know the first call I got was from Matt Kramer, who you know represents me. Um, he's with CAA. And I was like everybody else in that, you know, you know, once ESPN let Jet, Jeff Van Gundy go, you know, I saw some things on Twitter or something that said, oh, you know, Doc is involved in RJ and JJ. And obviously any one of those men could have been sensational doing the job. And all of them bring different attributes and styles to, to what they do. Um, But my agent let me know that I too was in the mix. Um, And so that was the first conversation. The second one was with Dave Roberts. Um, And I will tell you that when we, when we sat down, he, he said, you know, I think that I, all I remember is his last line was, we believe you've earned this. And, you know, that that was a satisfying thing to hear. You know, you mentioned in your intro, I started in this business back in 1990 in an obviously very small way, Providence College Women's Basketball on Radio, right after I left coaching. And it's been however many years in between then to now. And you and I've talked about this before, but this is sort of a happy accident of a career for me. I'm very passionate about the game of basketball, obviously, but my intention graduating college was never to be an announcer. It was almost a laughable thought. Dave Roberts, just so that people listening know, is the head of 
event and studio production at ESPN. He's the, sort of a, the point person when it comes to NBA coverage. Um, and from what I understand, Doris, and I'll get some of the questions in a minute, you know, one of the things that you need, I think you've learned this at ESPN, is you need people in positions of power and positions of leadership to sort of go to bat for you when really like the rubber meets the road, when it really comes down to a decision like this. And from everything I understand, Dave Roberts was that for you. And I know he's been that for other, actually he's been a really good voice, it seems like for women and people of color at ESPN. But I know in particular, like I, I know this just from reporting, like that guy went to bat for you. Is that is that an accurate statement? Yeah, I absolutely think that's true. And it's funny because I, prior to you know this, my interactions with Dave had been somewhat limited. He's he's new to the position of leadership on the NBA, quote, new relatively, obviously. And going back to when he first took the job, and I think he has stated this publicly, he wanted to get the studio side of things right first. And, you know, once that was done, I think, you know, you do an overview, you know, whatever. But I know this, um, when I had seen him at the NBA Finals, just in passing along the baselines, he sort of said to me, you know, I'm a big fan of your work. And I said, well, I, I very much appreciate that. That's, you know, that's nice to hear. Um, but because he's so new to the leadership position, he and I had not had a ton of interaction. My agent, Matt, had let me know, hey, Dave Roberts thinks well of your work. And I said, that's great. Um, but literally, when we sat down uh, to lunch to discuss the job, um, that was the first extended conversation I had had with Dave. It's, I mean, it's not like you run into, you know, the leadership structure of ESPN. Yeah, right. When you're, when you're a person calling games, you know, you're not in Bristol or New York or whatever. You're out at 30 different NBA cities. So your your interactions with people are somewhat, you know, ac accidental. You know, they're contingent on being seen at a game or something. Yeah. I mean, most people aren't vacationing in Bristol, Connecticut, as opposed to like Paris or, or Madrid. So like, that's understandable, Doris. <laughs> How much, um, I, I don't know if you were given more, it doesn't seem like it based on our sort of initial conversation already, but how much of a surprise for you was it learning that Jeff and Mark would not, would not be back with ESPN? Yeah. I mean, for all of us, actually, you hear, uh, and the news breaks in the post or, you know, any number of publications, the news starts leaking out, there's going to be layoffs. And every single person at ESPN is like, man, where am I contractually? Right. Will they money, et cetera, et cetera. So I think all of us at ESPN, myself included, we're reading the news just like everybody else. And you're shocked, right? I mean, when you look at what Mark, Jeff, and Mike accomplished, it's a body of work that is really unmatched, Richard. I don't think there's been a longer tenured NBA finals broadcast team, and there may not have been one in American professional sports that is that long tenured. That stuff doesn't happen by accident, correct? Like yeah. those guys are exceptional at what they do. Um, and you just, you feel for everybody because we're all human. We're all stressing our jobs. And whether you're, you know, in front of the camera like Mark and Jeff or the behind the scenes people that we've known for the duration of our tenure at ESPN, it is always an incredibly hard thing. So, uh, I'm, I, I'm, I, you know, I thought about this question and sort of try to figure out how to ask you this because it's sort of a bit of a nuanced question, which I think in some ways you probably appreciate too. So you've always been, including with me, 
very, very public about your admiration for Mark, Jeff, and Mike as a team. You just reiterated that again. You're friends with these people. You've 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 gone out of your way to say they have really helped you feel comfortable in the NBA space. At the same time, this is an amazing opportunity for you. You get to call the NBA Finals. There's only one of the, well, I should say there's two of these jobs on television. You have one of the two with with Doc. So is that just I don't know. Is it mentally tough to navigate like the idea that these friends of yours are no longer doing it? And because they're no longer doing it, you've now been elevated. Yeah. So I'll just describe a moment in time that happened this uh, summer. So I I obviously went to the Hall of Fame induction of um, Mark Spears and Holly Rowe. And Mark, I've known from time in the NBA and Holly, as you know, go back. I, we go back a long way. We're great friends. And this was pretty close proximity to the announcement. And it all unfolded in my mind very quickly. And, um, and I, you know, he said, congratulations. We were walking out. He had been inducted. He was gathering at a, a bar or restaurant with his family and friends. And he said, congratulations. I said, thank you. You know, you know, you're trying to be excited for it, but you know, and it's not just um, Mark, Jeff, and Mike, Richard, think about um, up and down the talent roster at ESPN that happens to work on the NBA, there was movement, right? Right. And, you know, so there are people who are happy and there are people who are disappointed. And your colleagues with them And to varying degrees, you are friends with them. And so while you, in this particular instance, happen to be one of the fortunate ones, you also are close to people who are, you know, not happy about what's happened. And so, you know, you have to come to terms with that. But as Mark said to me, he's like, this is the business. This is a business. And, you know, you're tremendous at what you do and go do it. That has nothing to do with you. And so I really appreciated that from Mark. I said, if I have any, you know, crisis of confidence in the, in the season, Mark Spears, I'm calling you. <laughs> that was a cool thing to say. One, I, I, I don't really know Mark Jackson that well. I certainly um, have had a lot of talks with Jeff Van Gundy, so I know him a little bit, uh, not a little bit, but much better. My sense is Jeff might be someone who actually would have reached out to you and would have said, hey, like. You know, like this is, he's a coach too. So he knows this profession, like, you know, people, people get cut, people leave, people get fired, go out there and be great. Did you hear from both Mark and Jeff in after this? Here's what I'm going to say, you know, um, and you know, I've said this to you before and Jeff, when, when the NBA final sideline reporting job opened, Richard, the first person to call me, I think Michelle was going to NBC at that point. That job opens. The first person to call me was Jeff Van Gundy. Um, you know, he said, would you be interested? And I said, yes, but I don't want to give up any of my color analyst work, but that's a position I would love. Because I don't think you'd have to do that. And, you know, whatever transpired behind the scenes, I know that within a couple of days of Jeff making that call, not that he has all the power, but he clearly called somebody to advocate for me. And Jeff, I think the person in charge at that point was a guy by the name of Jed Drake. You probably remember that name. Jed said, would you have an interest in this? And I said, yes, I would. And that's how it unfolded. And 
um, the same thing happened when um, Doug Collins left to go back to the Chicago Bulls. Doug wanted to leave announcing. He wanted to be a part of a team again. He goes back to Chicago. I remember the call. It's probably like 10 o'clock at night. It's unusual for Jeff to call me at that hour. And he said, do you have an interest in this position? And I said, of course I would. And he goes, then you need to make a call and tell somebody. I said, ah. And he's like, I'm telling you, make the call. And so I will never forget his advocacy for me in that particular instance, Richard. It's just, you know, I know for a fact he pushed back at times if people maybe had some things to say about me being an analyst on the NBA. Um, so I'm, I'm always indebted. I'm always indebted. Given you have a ton of relationships in the league, this would be sort of guesswork on my part, but I would imagine some players or coaches reached out to you upon the news. Is that so? And could you share a couple of them who reached out? Um, you're you're a nosy person. Has anyone ever told you that? <laughs> uh, there are, I could promise you there are nosier people than me, but yes. I, I will say yes. You know, I heard from any number of people, those closest to me in the business and from people inside the NBA. Um, and those all meant a great deal to me. I'm not going to tell you any specifics. <clears throat> okay. All right. Um, you let me ask you about Doc because I would think just given your um time in the league, like you've probably known him for like for how far does your relationship go back with Doc Rivers? Yeah, it's funny. We were reminiscing about this the other day. Um, when Doc was with us um uh way back when, I was one of my first assignments and I thought it was Mike Green, but we were discussing this the other night at dinner. Mike didn't think it was him. But I distinctly remember I'd been assigned as a sideline reporter of an NBA game when Doc was uh, with us that, that time. And uh, we had to interview Phil Jackson. And whoever the play-by-play guy, the flight was late or delayed or whatever, the play-by-play guy couldn't be there. And we're in the runner's car on the way over to the hotel to sit in this little room we've set up to do an interview. And, uh, and Doc's like, Doris, you got to do this interview. I'm like, what? I was new. I was nervous, but whatever. I had to sit there and interview Phil Jackson. And it's just an interesting moment that years ago happened. And now all these years later, he and I will work together. Here's what I know. I'm going to sit with Mike Green, who is the absolute master of the craft of play-by-play skills, um, knows how to elicit responses from any number of different analysts, Richard, and all of us bring different sentimentalities, styles, philosophies, etc. Mike knows how to get the best out of whatever analyst he happens to be working with on a particular night. Doc Rivers is one of the most personable, fun people uh, I've had the occasion to sit in coaches meetings with. He knew, he knew in every coaches meeting what the broadcast team needed and he would give that information to you to the best of his ability within his constraints as an NBA coach. And I also know there isn't a thing Doc Rivers hasn't seen in 13 years as a player or over two decades as a coach. I am incredibly fortunate to be sitting with those two men, and I'm really very thankful for that. Darce, one of the things that you know, given all your years in broadcasting, is that chemistry is usually forged away from the mic, not on the mic. So very clearly, you and Doc and Mike have a great relationship. You're all friends. 
So in some ways, you, you've already passed like the most important thing, which is do you like each other away from the court? That said, um, you're going to have to find a rhythm in terms of like how it works with the three of you. And do you have a sense yet as to how that how you three will sound? Or do you think it's just something that it's going to develop and whatever you are game one, you'll be very different like game 25? So I've stated this many times. You, you can neither feign nor can you manufacture it manufacture chemistry. It exists or it does not. It doesn't mean you can't have a very competent, credible broadcast without it. Um, but the special teams, they have that. Now, I do think as long as you're committed to one another and most importantly to the viewer and the, and the broadcast, then you're going to be in pretty good position. You know, we had the good fortune of calling an exhibition game Friday night in Los Angeles. And um, I think we were all um, pleasantly surprised that we, you know, we didn't step on one another, that there felt like there was room for one another. You know, one of the challenges for me, you know, Mike is accustomed to working a three-man booth. He's done it at the highest level for a very long time. In my career, Richard, that has been a very episodic thing. I think I did it maybe two years with Fran Priscilla and Dave Pash at Big East Tournament. But that was two games for maybe a couple of days. And then there was the year that Carol Lawson joined Dave O'Brien and I at the regional final and then the final four. And that's the extent of it. And that's, that's unique. That's different. That's another challenge here is the viewer, you have to let the broadcast breathe. You've got to give the viewer a chance to just have nothing hitting their ears and how do you do that? When we went to the first break on, on Friday night, the first thing I said to Mike Green was, I just looked left, I go, are we letting this breathe enough? He goes, no. <laughs> and we, not in a bad way. He's like, no, you know, we're all excited and we all have our thing to say, you know, but you're right. This is a journey for the three of us. And, you know, thankfully we'll get some repetitions early in the end season tournament, maybe more than is typical at ESPN for, you know, the number one team. Because as you know, um, during the regular season, every play-by-play -play works with any analyst on any given night. Um, and it's, you know, we cross, we eventually cross a threshold where we all get to our teams. Um, but the journey begins. And what I, what I have extraordinary faith in is the, the people I'm working with. And I don't just mean that Doc, Mike, and Tim Corrigan, our producer, ESPN's NBA coverage has the very best of the best. You know, people who are passionate and committed, graphics, tape, um, you know, camera, they're all the best of the best. There's, there's so many people, and you know this because you know the business, but, you know, the viewer doesn't care about this, but there's so many people doing their job at a high level that people never see that contribute to a great telecast. And so we'll figure it out. The, usually when it comes to um, any broadcast, when it comes to production meetings, the analyst will usually lead, and then the play-by-play -play person sort of um, is number two in that um, meeting, and then the sideline reporter will get questions in, maybe sometimes a producer or director. You and Doc are both analysts. Has Do you have any thought as to how production meetings will – and not to mention he's a coach just who just coached in the league um, – 
That's just interesting. I mean, it's a very inside baseball thing, but have you figured out yet sort of how you think it'll work when you're meeting with a coach um, prior to um, prior to the game that you two are going to call? No, and it's not something that I think is um, is any, you know, I think there are larger things for us to figure out. I think it's a very organic thing to sit with people you know, one of my favorite things in the business is, um, you know, you'll, you'll share a meal with your team. And in the natural conversation, because you're all invested in this, conversations occur and you figure out what's important on that particular night. Now, when I've, you know, worked with coaches, because I've been in the room as a sideline reporter, I've been in an NBA arena when Hubie Brown walks in. And people, you know, navigate to, to Hubie to say, hey, coach, how you doing this, that, and the other thing. Um, you know, you know, Doc's perspective, um, you know, is just incredible because, again, there's nothing this man hasn't seen. And so I would expect there to be some very natural moments from shared experience, just like there has been for Jeff and Mark with the coaches we meet with or, you know, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't expect that to be a deal at all or yeah. And, and, and one of the things, you know, Mike has been around the business for so long and knows it so cold that, you know, he'll be a driver of conversation as well. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama is back along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. All right, a couple more things just for you, and then we'll move on to some big picture NBA stuff. Um, how far out do you know your schedule right now? Like in terms of like where, so it's, I'm talking to you in the middle of October. Like, do you know where you'll be in for every event in November already? Like how far out does it go for you? Yeah, so um, I think I know pretty solid up through Christmas. And then once Christmas turns, you know, I know the, the lead group, generally speaking, after the new year, will do those Saturday primes. So those are set on your schedule, um, but for right now, just pretty much up to Christmas Day. Has ESPN management uh, let you know whether this grouping will go beyond one year? Meaning, do you, are you looking at this as a year-by-year proposition, or are you looking at this right now as a multi-year proposition? You know, I've, I've said to this to you before, you know how I do my job? Tell me what my next game is, and how can I best prepare for that? Listen, Doc Rivers is a Hall of Fame coach, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that at the end of the season, if there aren't job openings, that one of the first calls people are going to make is to Doc Rivers, and then Doc Rivers is going to have to make a decision on on that. Um, You know, no, I've not given thought beyond it, Richard. I have my hands full just getting prepared for this. (laughs) Does your, um, at the moment, um, are you strictly NBA? Or do you have any more contractual latitude to do something else? And really, I was thinking just maybe even like a one-off in women's basketball because it's such a passion of yours. Or is your schedule now, Doris Burke broadcaster, just strictly to the NBA? 
So when, when, uh, and I didn't realize it, I think you said six years. I, I didn't realize it had been that long. Um, so when you said I went to the full-time analyst position on the NBA, yeah. Uh, when that occurred, one of the things ESPN said to me at that moment is we believe you need to do just this. And they are 100% right. As you know, there was a time where on my schedule were men's college basketball, women's college basketball, and the NBA as both sideline and analyst. And I was younger then, for sure. And uh, it was a little less taxing on me in every way, shape, or form. ESPN 100% made the right decision to say, if you're a full-time analyst on the NBA, that is your job. And I've always, I've always appreciated it. It doesn't mean I don't miss both men's and women's college basketball. I do. I still see them. I still watch them. You know, I talk to people in the, you know, Ryan, Rebecca, and Holly are three very good friends of mine. So, All right. Last one, Jars, on you, and then we'll go to away from you, which I know you'll be happy about. Um, so you have called NBA Finals before on ESPN Radio. So, like, yeah. the notion of calling an NBA Finals game is not going to be new to you, but calling a Finals game – on television as one of the, the the two lead analysts will be. Do you do you think you will feel in that moment something? Or because you have already called NBA finals, will it just feel like, hey, it's game one, the tip? And I know you really I know I'm asking you about something that hasn't happened yet, so you're not gonna know. But do you anticipate like this is gonna feel different because you've you know you've already done it, but you've never done this. Do you know what I'm saying? Nervous as hell. <laughs> Are you kidding? You know I'm gonna be nervous as hell. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll be nervous. I'm nervous before every game, generally speaking, but I have no doubt that it's going to be heightened unequivocally. You know, uh, one of the things Tim Corrigan said to me, though, he said, I do think it will help you that you've been a sideline reporter on it, that you've been around it as, you know, a radio uh, analyst on the finals. Just for this reason alone, Richard, you know, the event is enormous. The number of production trucks as you walk into the building, the amount of media around, um, the heightened awareness you are of just every part of the NBA Finals being just an enormous event. Um, you know, hopefully that helps. Um, but I fully expect to be pretty nervous, game one. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let me, uh, as we finish up... Uh, Keep me another 10 minutes, Doris, and I appreciate I know you have a cold, so you're so I appreciate you doing this. Um, I'm going to tell you five teams here, and then I'm just going to ask you if you can make an argument for any team I don't mention to win the NBA Finals this year. The Bucks, the Celtics, the Nuggets, the Suns, and the Lakers. Can you make an argument to me, a compelling argument, for any team other than those five that I mentioned to win? Meaning, are those my, those are my five that I think one of those teams will win, it's hard for me to find another team that will win. I, the only team that I I have said, and I said this Friday night on our, our preseason game, is I 
un- until you show me otherwise, the Golden State Warriors, who I know bowed out to the Los Angeles okay. Lakers last That's good. Because, yeah. of their, because of their championship medal, because of their, um, y- you know, ability to have performed in the highest leverage moments of the NBA playoffs. I'm talking about Steph, Clay, and Dre. I can't count them out exclusively. Now, you know, we, there's a lot to be seen um, with that group. Is Jonathan Kaminga going to take the necessary step? Um, is Dario Saric going to become an integral part of their rotation and provide some measure of consistency as a, a big shooting four? Um, you know, I don't know the answer to that. But those, you know, it's funny you say that because I've been asking question you say the, the other four feel like for sure that they're at a level that's beyond the rest of the group but I, and a, just a note about the lakers because something that really struck me um their fortunes are going to rise and fall with lebron and anthony davis and as we talk about the era of player participation or whatever lebron james has only missed a research staff gave me this friday night 182 regular season games 100 111 of those, though, have been in the last five years. And so the health of both Anthony Davis and, and LeBron James is the only, uh, uh, you know, sort of asterisk you put on, including them with the other four. Is what you've seen from Phoenix in the first half of two exhibition games is just ridiculous. Which I'm glad you said that because, you know, the preseason this year, and understandably so, so much focus on Milwaukee as there should be. I mean, that's an incredible trade, um, you know, to pair to pair those two great players together. Well, obviously, Middleton's a great player as well, and the Celtics obviously have an amazing starting five, and they're like fascinating. The Nuggets are the are the champs, so you know everybody I think thinks the Nuggets are going to be good. So you mentioned the Suns, and if there was one team this year that I feel, or one team in the offseason that maybe didn't get enough kind of hype, although maybe that's just wrong for the NBA because everybody gets hype. But Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and now depth. Like that is a that team is a scary team. And like you mentioned the exhibition season, like if they stay healthy, like I feel like that that's a nightmare for a lot of teams. How do you feel about them? Uh, I think they're a real problem. And I think the, the last point you made was probably the most critical. It was the pieces they picked up around the big three, you know, Adding Grayson Allen is significant. Um, I would, you know, Eubank started last night, and uh, and you just and and sometimes Richard, some of these pieces are about surviving and thriving enough in the eighty-two game regular season to get you to the place where when, then where the minutes distributions change a little bit. Um, those people were still a part of what you did in the regular season to get to your playoff positioning, et cetera, et cetera. And those pieces are, are enormous. I think they're going to be a problem and obviously have a championship coach now, um, you know, in the lead with Frank. So when, when, uh, you know, you're not, um, I think, I think intentionally, and it's very smart of you. You're not like, as active on social media as other NBA analysts are, but when a big trade goes down, like privately, are you like the rest of us and like, holy shit, I can't believe that that's awesome. We just don't see your reaction on Twitter. Uh, 
Yeah, I purposely stay off. In fact, I think I'm about to delete my Twitter account. Smart uh, woman. Smart. So you're smarter than the rest of us, Doris. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I'm, I'm just like everybody else. I'm reacting to woge, woge bombs in real time. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, like, you know, for me, you know, Damian Lillard is somebody that I have been an enormous fan of since he entered the league. And to be honest with you, uh, uh, you know, where I fit on the totem pole, I was the person out in Portland a lot when he first arrived in the league. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and so I saw, you know, an awful lot of him. And and so for me to, to see him in the Bucks uniform the other day, uh, I was like, wow, this is strange and, you know, and exciting at the same time. So, yeah, I'm, 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 I, I sort of consider myself a well-studied fan in some respects. You know what I mean? Like, that's the I like that approach. Uh, I have to ask you this because you revealed it the other day. So you revealed that Damon Lillard, speaking of the the, the man, um, he he asked you to record a line under one of his uh, tracks that he was recording, and the line gets cut. So I must ask: Have I, any? I regret, I regret that was such a George Sedano interviewed Damien, right? And I feel like the 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 rap piece of what Damien does and my understanding is he is exceptional at it obviously right, right. this goes back years and I I feel so badly I've put him in a position because it was really meant to be a throwaway line it, it's a funny line Dars I don't think you've put him in what a tough he, position what it what it's essentially was was sort of like I think had it happened I think my voice would have been like an intro to him I don't remember exactly what he sent to me but it was something about, you know, he's from Oakland. It was not part of the rap or whatever, you know, he wanted. It was me. I think it would have been my voice and my role sort of introducing. Introing it. Right. I got, you weren't part of the lyrics. You were part of the intro. Best. I'm like, Damian Lillard has enough on his plate. <laughs> and now you've put him in this position to answer this question. So I'm throwing a, an apology out to him right now. I okay. should have never said it. You should offer the apology on a much more downloaded podcast. That's one. Two. <laughs> well, then you're not going to answer this because I was going to ask you, have any other NBA players asked you to like drop any lines on any of their music projects? <laughs> the idea is laughable. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. All right, uh, three more here. Are you a fan of the in-season tournament just as a concept? Like, do you, you know, in, um, I don't know how it's going to play out. I will say, like, as a soccer fan, it's kind of cool when the great soccer teams sort of take a step from the league and then play in one of these tournaments and the players take it very seriously. Um, it remains to be seen how it's going to play out in the NBA. But if nothing else, I get where Adam Silver's coming from in the thing like you have this uh, proof of concept in a global sport where people do get into it. So how do you see it? Yeah, so so – First and foremost, I, I don't, skeptical is probably the wrong word, but when they instituted the play in, I was like, mm, how's this going to work? You know, you're a little bit against. Playing's great, though. I love the play in. <laughs> yeah, right. But you're curious. And then it becomes this massive success that has the exact, um, you know, effect that the league hoped that, that 
you know, people weren't tanking to that degree for the most part. Obviously, there's still some people who look to do some things, but it had the exact effect. And here's here's what I think. You know, is it going to latch on right, right away? No, tradition takes time. These guys are competitive. You don't become a member. I don't know how many roster spots exactly there are because I feel like we've added two ways this year. Those roster spots on those 30 teams are precious and competitive, and you don't get there unless you're ready to take somebody's heart out. And so you think that as, you know, as this thing gets legs, competitive instincts, the financial remuneration, all those things are going to matter to these guys. And it is going to be, quote, a championship, and I think that's always a good thing. And, and if it has the effect that, you know, in a, a, a Friday night in November becomes a little bit more important for the, for the NBA up against all that competition, that is a great thing, obviously, for us as a broadcast network, but for the NBA as a business as well. All right, two more. Um, do you know when you will see Victor Weminyama in person? Like, do, do you know if your schedule has the Spurs in the next whatever? I think uh, the first time I'll see him in person, um, I saw him obviously at the Summer League, but uh, I believe on my schedule right now is a November 17th game with San Antonio. Okay. We live in obviously a world of excessive um, hype, hype and excessive mm-hmm. publicity. That said, this guy actually looks like someone who may actually fulfill this publicity. I've never seen a player who in theoretically can sort of do what he does. You've seen a lot of basketball and you've been sidelined for the greatest players in the in the modern history of the sport. What 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 can this guy be if he stays healthy? I think I reacted to the dunk over Thomas Bryant the way everybody else did. Just yeah. complete shock and awe. Like, are you serious? He dunked it from that distance. I also happened to tune into the Oklahoma City, Chet Holmgren, Victor Wembanyama, OKC San Antonio uh, preseason game. And I'm thinking, man, these two guys, size and extraordinary skill. And this, what I loved about it is they went right at each other in this most competitive but respectful fashion, you know, on a, on a Victor crossover drive, he gets past Chet, Chet kind of reacts to him because he gets popped in the face, didn't blink, got blood all over his mouth, didn't go over to the trainer. Um, if you can't be excited about that kind of young talent and the continuing evolution of the game, you're not a sports fan because I'm watching the games and thinking to myself, wow, this guy is incredible. And, and what I love, Richard, is like you're listening to Greg Popovich say, I've got to watch him. I have to figure it out. I have to know what positions to put him in. Where is Victor comfortable? What does he do best? How can he elevate our group? Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty jazzed about him. I can't wait. Yeah, and I hope he just stays healthy because if he does, it's it's going to be awesome to see. All right, the final – I mean, I, I would never uh, pass an opportunity to ask you about women's basketball, even though it's um, you're not calling it these days, but um, it's been such an important part of your life. You were a great player at Providence. Um while you were not at the beginning of like the 1982 uh, women's final four, you were a, you have been a major part of helping promote that game. And ESPN has been a, the singular reason. I shouldn't say that the singular media reason why the sport is elevated to where it is today. When you see Doris in 2023, that Iowa was selling out a game, 50,000 uh, Angel Reese, Caitlin Clark, Paige Beckers, these are people now who make millions of dollars in IL. 
Um, the athleticism of the game is just at a crazy different level. You watch the WNBA finals. It's incredible. I wonder just for you, like, you know, you start, it's not that the game wasn't great when you were in the middle of calling this stuff, but it wasn't this. And like, to me, that viewership number for LSU, Iowa, like was such an incredible moment because it was, it was like the buildup to that. And by the way, not all the numbers are going to be that next year's probably going to be down because it's just logically, but it, it was an awakening, I think, for those of us who've been in the sport for a long time or at least covered it like you did, like I did at certain points in my career. And so if nothing else, you just must feel in some ways overjoyed because you were in the middle of that development. And like the last like two years has felt like the explosion onto the yeah. public consciousness. Yeah. I mean, it's incredibly exciting um, that these women are uh, compelling in their skill sets to the degree that interest is skyrocketing. I mean, how cool is that, Richard? Seriously, there was a point at which um, I remember talking to, you know, Rebecca Holly and Ryan, texting them a little bit, I think I said, for a 10-day span, you had the most compelling figure in basketball in Caitlin Clark, right? She was, and I, I say that from, an empirical data standpoint, the ratings were telling us um, this was such a compelling story. And it's just cool. I mean, I, I think about somebody like Rebecca Lobo, whose you know, career at UConn in 95 was, was a big marker in terms of popularity for yeah, women's That basketball. undefeated team was, was, I mean, they made the cover Sports Illustrated when that meant something. When you tell the history of a sport, there are certain markers that come. So, that UConn team of 95, the formation of the WNBA in 1997. I'll never forget that. Um, I never thought women's professional basketball would be played in the United States. And then to see from, from 97 forward to last year, uh, I went as a fan. My, my old boss had always um, offered me an opportunity to come, and I took it this time. And it, it's just, I don't know. It's... Um, I think it represents a lot of things and for women to finally, you know, cross barriers, to cross appeal, to, to be in a gym and know, you know, first of all, NBA fans are huge women's basketball fans, huge. Yep. Players and, too. And it's, that's what I mean that well, I meant the NBA players. I'm sorry. I should have been more specific, but if the casual fan would come to grips with how much, and the NBA players are, uh, you know, I think people would be surprised. Anyway, I love it. I, there's nothing other to say than I absolutely love it for so many reasons. Yeah, I can understand it. And, you know, you were a part of growing it. There's a lot of people who are part of growing it, but like your your name is part of that history and you, sh you should Even be very proud of it. Man, uh, people like Holly Rowe have grown it. And Rebecca. Uh, a oh, trust me, a thousand percent. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you're asking me to pick between you and Holly in terms of grower, I'm taking Holly. No offense, Doris. But yes, I'm just giving you your flowers on I, this one, though. I appreciate it. I think you're giving me too much credit. Right. <laughs> I was fortunate to sit there, my friend. All right. Well, as was I. That's when Sports Illustrated had some really good seats, Doris. I'm not going to. If, <laughs> if I'm that close to you, that means I'm doing something correct. All right. Listen, Doris Burke, um, you will see her with Doc Rivers and Mike Breen on ESPN's lead NBA team. Um, it's, uh, I don't want to say the culmination because I'm not trying to retire, but in some ways it really is, like as she said, the culmination of what's been an incredible accidental um, career. And now she's um, in um, 
just an unbelievable position and an unbelievable seat. Uh, Doris, listen, I have talked to you and I've known you for a long time. I am personally very happy for your success, but I've also written it a million times. I also think it's deserved. So I'm always someone who um, just likes seeing like the meritocracy like rewarded. And your work has uh, stood for itself and spoken for itself. And so um, uh, I'm sure I will talk to you this year, but I, but I wish you nothing but the best of luck uh, with this position. And thank you so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, uh, as I like to say, back in the studio. It's not really a studio, by the way. It's just basically back in my room that I taped this. My thanks to Doris Burke for her time and her insight. She doesn't like to do a lot of these where she is the subject, but uh, but I appreciate it. And um, and like I had said in the podcast, I've known Doris for a long time. I have immense respect for her, and um, and I appreciate her coming on to talk about this stuff. Uh, if you like these kind of conversations, head to the archives. There should be stuff that you will enjoy. Dan Orlovsky, another ESPNer, was a recent podcast guest where he talked about how he does what he does, especially in terms of uh, film analysis. Pierre Lebron, my colleague at The Athletic and TSN, went uh, into how competitive the NHL beat is. We've done some of the year's best sports writing, 2023, where we've talked to some uh, uh, writers about uh, their stories in that book. Ian Eagle was on this podcast not uh, too long ago. You may find that interesting. Al Michaels uh, last month as well with Fred Kideli, Mark Teitelman. Basically a podcast on how uh, Amazon does its NFL. If you like this stuff, please leave us a five-star review and a nice note. That is how this podcast continues. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thank you to everybody at Odyssey for their support. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.